Our scripture today comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 19 through 23. Church of God, this is the word of God. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. Lord Jesus, would you take this word right now, plant it into our hearts. God, it's been a tumultuous week, month, year in our country. And Lord, hearts are hurting. We need you right now, God. Speak to us and help us, Lord, to not just be hearers, but doers of your word. If you agree with me, church, let's just say amen together. Amen. Man, good. We'll go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to all of you who are watching at home, those of you who are watching downstairs as well, and those of you who are in our sanctuary right now. Let me encourage you, wherever you are, to take a copy of God's Word, pull it out, turn it on, whatever medium you have, in order to uh, look at the passage that I just read, Romans 6. Turn there, if you would, with me. Our passage today is Romans 6, verses 19 through 23. And let me just start with this. You know, my job as a pastor, I've been thinking about this this last week. My job is just as much to tell you who you are as it is to tell you what to do. Are you all with me? And, you know, I wonder about that from time to time. I think about that. What does a pastor do? Do you all think about that? What does a pastor do? Well, a, a pastor, pastors. How's that? Is that helpful? I, I, what does that mean? I, I shepherd the flock. A pastor shepherds the sheep. A pastor preaches God's word. A pastor feeds the flock. And part of that feeding task that I have is to remind you from time to time, really every week, who you are in Christ Jesus. We are the children of God. We are bought by Christ's blood. We belong to Christ Jesus. My job is just as much to remind you who you are as to tell you what to do. Now, let's look at Romans 6 here together. Let's think about this. When we look at Romans 6, and particularly our passage today, Romans 6, 19 through 23, you might think the central concern of Paul is, is that we do something. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. That's true. All right, I got it. I'm not sure that is his central concern. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he wants us to do some stuff. But really what Paul's concern here is he wants you to know who you are so that you might do some stuff. Everybody with me? It's to confirm who you are in Christ, what your identity is. Paul's argument here in Romans 6, it's not 
stop sinning because sinning is bad. I mean, I mean, that's a compelling argument. I could preach that this morning. I could get up here and say, stop sinning, stop sinning, stop sinning. And all of us would feel guilty and bad and then repent and then we'd go home depressed. I could do that. That's actually pretty easy to do as a preacher. You might say, I, I'm already depressed with what's going on, Pastor Tony. I don't need more of that. There is a lot that's depressing right now in our world, not to mention our lives. But here's the thing. Paul's argument isn't stop sinning because sinning is bad. Paul's argument here is you, Roman church, Harvest Decatur, you are a saved, redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, stop sinning. Do you see the difference there? It's not just stop sinning because sinning is bad. No, you, you need to know who you are. This is who you are. You belong to Christ. You are the child of God. Therefore, in light of that, present the members of your bodies as instruments of righteousness, not wickedness, not sin. We've, we've got to say, even out loud from time to time, if this helps you, do it. I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to sin. I, I am a redeemed representative of Jesus Christ. I am not sin's captive. I am not Satan's whipping boy. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I mean, if you think back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, just think back then. How did Satan tempt them? How did he deceive them? He got, to, he got them to think negatively about who they are and, 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 and dream sinfully about what they could be. They lost themselves in that moment. They forgot their favored status before God. You, Christian, are favored before God, not because of what you've done. Phew, thank goodness. But because of what Christ has done for you. God doesn't judge you or evaluate you by your works. God evaluates you through his Son. Your faith in Christ brings you into a favored status before God. So when Satan tempts you to sin... His temptation is based upon confusing that in you, getting you to think differently about who you are or maybe taking advantage of your identity before God. Well, I'm a saved follower of Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what I do. No, 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 no. In those moments of temptation and enticement and allurement of sin, you've got to do an ID check, Christian. You've got to pull out your ID card, read it out loud. Who am I again? Who am I? I'm a saved follower of Jesus. I'm a child of God. I'm Romans 6.4. I am buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, I too might walk in newness of life. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Take that, devil. That's what you've got to say. That's what you got to own. Stop trying to confuse me about who I am, Satan. So today's message, it's entitled ID Check, okay? And I'm not talking about buying beer at 7-Eleven, okay? I'm talking about who you are, your identity in Christ Jesus. So three things from Romans 6 this morning. Three reminders from Romans 6. Here's the first one. A redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. Are you a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ this morning? Are you now? Come on now, church. Don't let the people on the camera out yell you here in the sanctuary, all right? 
This is you, a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ, is a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin. Okay? When you pull out your ID card, if you had Christian dog tags, what would they say? Well, in addition to saying some other stuff, according to Romans 6, it says this, I am a slave to righteousness and not a slave to sin. That's on your ID card. Paul said earlier in in verse 17, you can look at this with me in your Bibles, Romans 6, verse 17. He said, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Man, there's a lot in that. And then verse 18, and having been set, having been, having been, oh man, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Everybody see that in your Bibles there? You are a slave to righteousness. Does that make you uncomfortable, that language of slavery? I, I think it probably should. In our day, anyway, it probably should in light of our country's jaded past forcibly kidnapping men and women of color and enslaving them for profit in America. You know, America has a lot of things to be proud of. We do as a country. That's not one of them. The slave trade and all that went up during that time. And, and what's so sad about that is that in the slave trade and that whole period of American history, we failed our own ideals in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are some of the greatest words ever penned apart from Scripture. And we failed that. We, we, you know, we... We failed that ideal. Why did we enslave men if we believed that? I don't have a good answer for that. I don't have a good answer for that. Other than to say that we failed to live up to what we wrote. I don't have an answer for that question. I only have sorrow and remorse for the fact that we we failed that ideal. So yes, when we talk about slavery, it probably should make us feel uncomfortable in America. And even in Paul's day, you can see a level of discomfort here with what he said. He didn't even have the baggage of the North American slave trade in his recent history. Look what Paul says in verse 19. He says, I am speaking, speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, this, this slave analogy, it, it isn't perfect. But it's helpful for you to understand the situation. Your natural limitations require an analogy, even an imperfect analogy. By the way, all analogies are imperfect. You see, in Paul's day, slavery, it wasn't this heinous thing like it was in 18th, 19th century America. But that doesn't mean it was great either. It wasn't great. R. Kent Hughes, he makes the following statement about the slave situation in Rome. He says, you can read this on the screen, it is estimated that the population of Rome in the first century was about one-third slaves. So vast was the slave population that a suggestion that slaves be made to wear a distinctive style of clothing was abandoned because it would reveal their numerical strength. Interesting. Moreover, many free men had once been slaves. Thus, it is very likely that more than one half of the Roman church either were or had been enslaved at some point in their life. 
So the Roman church, to Paul, who Paul's writing to right here, they know a thing or two about slavery. And Paul's argument here is essentially you're going to serve somebody. You're going to be a slave to something. Metaphorically speaking, you're going to be a slave to somebody, either sin or Christ. So you might as well serve Christ because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Paul goes on to say this in verse 19. He says, For just as you once presented your members, what are your members? Your mind, your heart, your hands, your feet, your bodies, just as you used to present those members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Why, Paul? Why should we do that? Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That's an interesting way to say it right there. When you were slaves to sin, you were free. You were free from righteousness. You couldn't be righteous if you tried. You you were owned by sin. You're not owned by sin anymore, even though Paul doesn't say this here. The implication is this. You are now slaves to Christ and free in regard to sin. So, who are you going to serve, Harvest Decada? Who is your boss? Who are you going to obey? When you pull out your ID card, when you take off your dog tags, what do they say? I'll tell you what my ID card says. I'll tell you right now, okay? One word. If I, had, if I could summarize it in one word, it would be this word on my ID card. Christ's. Christ's. C-R-I-S-T apostrophe S. This one, this guy belongs to Jesus. That's what my ID card says, among other things. Some people might say, even as they're hearing me, they say, yeah, 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 okay, Pastor Tony, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm, but I'm not, really, I'm not really owned by Christ Jesus. I, I don't really present the members of my body as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, I'm one of those non-sanctified Christians, Pastor Tony, if I can say it that way. Yeah? Okay. Those don't exist. There's no such thing. One of the things that Paul's arguing here is that your sanctification, your growing in Christ is evidence of your justification. Those who have been justified by faith are going to grow in holiness. They're going to be sanctified. They're going to be growing more like Christ. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not being sanctified right now. Sasquatches. Are y'all with me? Chupacabras. Unicorns. And non-sanctified Christians. What do all those things have in common? Do you know? They don't exist. None of them exist. If you are a saved follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to be coming more like Christ. You're going to become more like him. You are. The Holy Spirit's going to force that inside of you. James said it this way. James said, faith without works is dead. If you believe in Christ Jesus, if you are genuinely saved, then you're going to be sanctified. That sanctification is bearing fruit. The Apostle John says it this way. You can read this on the screen. He said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, 
cleanses us from all sin. Are you walking in the light, Christian? There's no such thing as a Christian that doesn't walk in the light. Jesus said, don't take my word for it, take Jesus' words for it. Jesus said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Fruit bearing, light walking, slaves to Christ Jesus, not slaves to sin. All of these metaphors are describing the same thing. All of these analogies are describing the same thing. True Christian believers, true Christ followers are going to present the members of their bodies for righteousness, not for, for wickedness. Righteousness leading to sanctification. That's who you are, Christian. That's what we do. Check your ID card. And that leads right into number two. A redeemed follower of Jesus Christ is a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin. But also, he or she is a fruit bearer. A fruit bearer headed for eternal life, not a shame-filled victim of death. Sonia was reviewing my notes yesterday to proof them, and she said, that second point is too long. You need to shorten it. And I said, no, I can't shorten it. That's too good. I need every word in that. Are y'all feeling this verse two, This uh, second point here? A fruit, better, a fruit bearer headed for eternal life, not a shame-filled victim of death. That is who you are as a follower of Jesus. Paul says this in verse 21. Let's unpack this a little bit. He says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Paul says elsewhere, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Romans 12, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Metamorpho is the Greek. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As we grow as Christians, we metamorphosize like a beautiful butterfly. That's what we do. We change. We are transformed. We become more like Christ. And in fact, that's the proof that we've been justified. We're being transformed. I heard this story once about Teresa Nelson, Tommy Nelson's wife. She, when she teaches Romans 12, verse 2, this this passage about being transformed by the renewal of the mind. What she does is she takes, she takes a glass bottle and she takes this bottle and she, she stuffs wires into this bottle. And the bottle represents the world. And we are the wires. And as the wires go inside the bottle, the, the wires are conformed by that bottle. The wires are conformed by the world. We are conformed by the, war, by the, by the world. And then, as she's teaching this little object lesson, she takes out a hammer. Y'all know where she's going with this? I thought about doing this this morning, like just smashing a bottle in front of all of y'all, but I didn't think our deacons would appreciate the shattered glass all over the place. You know what she does? She takes that hammer, and she smashes that bottle. You know what that represents? That's your salvation, Christian. You've been saved. You are no longer conformed to the world. You are free. 
But guess what? You know, those wires that were in the bottle, what's, what's the deal with those wires? They're still the same, aren't they? They haven't moved. So what she does, she takes those wires out one by one, and she starts to bend them and twist them and transform them into something else. And as she does that, as she reshapes them, she says, here's a renewal of your mind on the topic of your identity in Christ. Then she takes another wire and she twists it and, and, and reforms it. And she says, here's a renewal of your mind on the topic of marriage. She takes another wire, twists it. Here's a, here's a renewal of your mind on the topic of sex. Takes another wire. Here's a renewal of your mind on the topic of money and children and church and eternity. And can I just speak for the wires for a second? That's painful being changed like that, isn't it? Metamorphosis is painful. I don't know. Ask a butterfly. Maybe they'll tell you. It hurts to be changed, to be transformed, but it's a good hurt. It's a good change. God's making us more like Christ. And here's the good news. Even though it's painful, Paul says that sanctification, this metamorphosis is proof that we are actually saved and headed for eternity. Let me just walk you through this with a few flow charts from Romans 6, 21 through 22. Here's your old flow chart, okay? You have action, and you have fruit, and you have end result. This is you. Sin leads to shame, leads to eternal death. Action, fruit, end result. That's horrible. Who would ever want that? Why do you want verse 21? Nobody wants to be in verse 21. But look how that changes in verse 22. Now there's a new flow chart. Now there's a new trajectory for your life. Paul says, but now that you have been set free from sin, that, ba- that bottle has been smashed and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in result eternal life. So here's what you got now. And this is good. Righteousness. That's your action. The fruit is sanctification. The end result is eternal life. Boom, boom, boom. Give me verse 22. I don't want verse 21. Give me that. Give me that leading unto eternal life. Why would anybody want verse 21 if that's available to you? And you might be saying that right now. I don't want sin, Pastor Tony. I don't want shame. I don't want eternal life. I want life or eternal death. I want life, eternal life. I want fruit. I want sanctification. What does that word sanctification even mean? Do you know what it means? The word sanctification, it's an English word derived from from the Latin word sanctus which means holy. But really this word sanctification, the the Greek word, the real idea here is holification. I've talked about this before. I'm being holified. You're being made like Christ. The word in Greek is hagiosmos. For sanctification, it's related to the word hagios, which means holy. And in the Bible, you know what we're called from time to time? We're called hoi hagioi. We're called the, the holy ones. We're called the saints. Did you know that? Put that on your ID card, Christian. Hoi hagioi. I'm a, I'm a saint. I'm, I'm a holy one. I've been, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus. I've been declared righteous before God. Some, some people think, you know, holy, the saints... I thought only really, really, really holy people are called saints, Pastor Tony, like St. Teresa. No, not according to the Bible. We are saints. We are being made holy. 
We are wholly unholy without Christ. But then we are declared holy, holy in Christ Jesus by our faith. And as a bonus, here's a bonus. We are being progressively sanctified. We are being made holy in this life as followers of Jesus. Is everybody with me? Those of you at home right now, are you with me? Here's a great quote from Pastor Conrad Mbewe. He says this prophetically. He says, we have turned God into some kind of flabby grandfather figure who does not mind how his children mess up his clothes. And Pastor Mbewe says, no, the God of the Bible is holy and demands holiness from his creatures. And what's the end result for us as saints pursuing this holiness? Remember the flow chart. What's it lead to ultimately? It leads to eternal life. Right? Paul never goes very long in Romans without talking about eternal life. And I think the reason for that is because he's talking to these Roman Christians that are being persecuted. They they're, could be killed, put to death at any time. And he's constantly reminding them, eternal life is coming. Eternal life is coming. Don't get distracted by all the things going on in our world right now. Eternal life is coming. It's coming for us. Let me just make one more observation. I want to get to verse 23. Verse 23 is so good. Oh, I can't wait to get there. But I need to say one more thing specifically about verse 21 and just point something out to you. Stay with me here. This is really important. Is there still shame in regard to our sin after we get saved? Is there, let's say you were a sinner, a really prolific sinner in your B.C. days, in your before Christ days. Does shame still continue even after you get saved? Look at verse 21. Here's the thing. I, I wish the answer to that was no. No, I, God erases your memory and you just forget all about it. It's like, it's like that movie, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You know, Jim Carrey just gets his memories erased and you never remember it again. I wish it was like that. But it's, it's not. And in fact, there's... When Paul talks about shame here in verse 21, he uses in Greek a present tense verb. Let me just read verse 21 again. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? You are now, Paul uses the Greek word for now here, noon, and he uses the present tense form of this verb, paiskunomai, to be ashamed of, to describe the present shame that the Romans feel. Why do they feel shame? Well, probably because some of them used to be adulterers. Some of them used to be murderers, maybe. They, they used to be fornicators. They used to be idolaters. Even Paul's going to say in, verse, in chapter 7 of Romans that he was a coveter. Paul actually used to be a murderer and a persecutor of the church, and he expresses in the Bible his remorse for that. He still feels shame about that as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, if you want more on that. And Paul confesses that that shame still lingers. And it probably was still lingering in the hearts of the Romans. But their guilt has been paid, even though that shame lingers. Their guilt has been paid at the cross, and that's the point here. Now, let me just address something right now. 
Some of you might say, well, Pastor Tony, I got saved at age six. I don't even remember my B.C. days. I mean, I was just out of diapers back then. You might think to yourself, I, I, I don't feel that shame. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't have anything that I'm ashamed of. Here, let me, let me speak to those of you who are in that category right now. I heard Alistair Begg say this this last week, and I thought it was profound. He said, Christ Jesus hasn't just saved you out of wickedness and sin. He has kept you from wickedness and sin as a growing Christian. Right? The longer you live as a Christian, even if you got saved young, and by the way, I'm in that category too. The longer you live as a Christian, you realize the depth of the wickedness inside of your heart. And the only thing that you lacked when you were younger is opportunity. And so God's grace is good. God's grace is good for us who got saved young and those who got saved later in life. Some of you may feel shame right now for your B.C. days. Some of you may feel remorse for your sin and what you did before you came to Christ. I can't promise you, I'm your pastor, but I can't promise you that that will ever go away. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Not on this side of eternity, I can't promise that it will go away. And maybe, maybe it shouldn't go away. Maybe it's a reminder in your life constantly that God's grace is sufficient and covers over your sin. And it's a motivator even now, verse 20, to present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Why do we do that? Why do we present our members this way? Check your ID card. Because we are slaves to righteousness, not slaves to sin. We are fruit bearers headed for eternal life, not shame-filled victims of death. And finally, one more ID check here. A redeemed follower of Jesus Christ is a humble recipient of God's grace. Not a wage earner looking to get paid. Right? Romans 6.23. Trust me when I say this. You don't want to get paid. You don't want to get what you've earned. You know what you've earned? According to Romans 6.23. This is so important. I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't have this verse memorized. Thank goodness for a good Bible preaching church when I was a kid. This, this verse is tattooed on my brain. It's emblazoned on my heart. I need this reminder constantly. For the wages of sin is death. It's death. You want to get paid, you get death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Give me what you owe me, Lord. Give me, what, give me my pay. You sure you want that? You sure you want that? I don't want that. No, thank you. I'll take the free gift. Thank you very much. I know the wickedness in my heart. I know what I deserve. Alistair's been memorizing this poem. Not Alistair Big. 
Alistair Caffey, the other Alistair. He's been memorizing this poem, and I love this poem. It's for school. It's a, it's a poem about work. And I, I love just the, the argument for industriousness in this poem. Work, 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 work. So this is the poem by Henry Van Dyke. Let me just read it for you. It goes like this. He writes, let me but do my work from day to day in field or forest, at the desk or loom, in roaring marketplace or tranquil room. Let me but find it in my heart to say when vagrant wishes beckon me astray, this is my work, my blessing, not my doom. Of all who live, I am the one by whom this work can best be done in the right way. Then shall I say, then shall I see it not too great nor small to suit my spirit and to prove my powers. Then shall I cheerfully greet the laboring hours and cheerfully turn when the long shadows fall at eventide to play and love and rest because I know for me my work is best. Can I just tell you something this morning? Pastoral confession time, all right? That speaks to my Caffey heart. It does. My Scots-Irish work ethic. Because we have this saying in my family. It's, it goes like this. We are Caffeys. We work, 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 work. Whatever we do, we work. And, and by the way, we do. Caffeys. My grandma was a hard worker. Grandma Caffey. My granddad was a hard worker. My parents are hard workers. My, my sister is a hard worker. My brother is a hard worker. We are Caffeys. We work, 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 work. I tell Alistair all the time at home, we work, work, work. That's what we do. We're Caffeys. And it's a good thing. It's good to work. It is good to have work. But you guys know what I'm going to say, right? You guys know I've been setting you up with this. This isn't your first rodeo here at Harvest Decatur. You know what Pastor Tony's about to say. There is one thing that we do not work for. We don't work for our salvation. It's by, you know, that I think that offends us as Americans. We like to work. Europeans get like six weeks of vacation. We don't. We work. You don't work for this. For the wages of sin is death. You want your wages? You want to work? You get death. The Greek word for wages here is the word opsonion, and it was typically used to refer to a soldier's wage. So before you were saved by Christ, you were a soldier of the devil, and your wage was death. Y'all ever sing that song when you were kids? I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm in. Y'all remember that song? You know what your song was in your BC days? I'm in the devil's army. Yes, sir. You worked for the devil. You got paid by the devil. You got paid for your sin. You know what you got paid with? You got paid with death. You got paid with death. And what's the opposite option for us? Notice Paul doesn't say the wages of God, the wages of faith. He doesn't say that. That's not theologically accurate. For the wages of sin is death. But the what? What's your Bible say? What's the other option? The free, the free what? 
gift. The gift. It's a gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that doesn't put a smile on your face, Romans 6.23, and assurance in your heart, then you probably don't know Christ. Are there works in the Christian life? Yes, there are. Is there fruit bearing? Yes, there is. Paul talks about it here. But you're not saved by your works. We are saved by the free gift of God's grace leading to eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that faith, that genuine faith, produces works that please the Lord. Right, church? Amen? Let's never forget that. I'll close with this, and then we can sing together. Alistair Begg, he tells the story of a little boy who was being egged on by his friends to do something naughty, you know. I'm sure you all have heard stories like this. Some of you all probably lived a story like this. And this little boy who was being coerced by his friends to do this bad thing, he knew in his heart that it was wrong. And so he was struggling and convicted, and he was fearful and reluctant. And so his friends started to taunt him and cajole him by saying, the only reason you don't want to do this thing is because you're afraid of what your father might do to you. That's a great taunt, isn't it? I'm sure many boys have been talked into doing stupid stuff by a taunt like that. You're just afraid. You're just afraid of what your dad's going to do to you if you do that. Well, this little boy, he thought, and he thought, and then he decided finally, no, I'm not going to do this thing, and it's not because I'm afraid of what my father might do to me. I'm afraid of what my actions might do to the father. I'm, I'm afraid of hurting him and of defaming him in any way by my actions because he's, he's my father. And if you get that little story, if you understand that, then you get, it, you get what it means to be a saved, redeemed follower of Jesus Christ who wants to please the father. Alistair Begg, he says it this way. He says, the believer who lives by saying no to sin and saying yes to righteousness does not live in fear of condemnation but lives out of the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. That is who we are. Check your ID. We are children of God. We are redeemed representatives of Jesus Christ. So church, one last time, present the members of your body as slaves to righteousness and no longer slaves to sin. Amen. Let's pray towards that end, and then we can sing together. Lord Jesus, we belong to you. You purchased us. Lord, our our identity in one word is Christ's. Lord, you have given this church, you have given the individuals in this room, 
the individuals downstairs, the individuals who are watching right now at home. You have given us so many gifts and talents and abilities. Lord, we offer them up to you. We offer them to you as instruments of righteousness. God, we're going to serve somebody. We're either going to serve sin or we're going to serve Christ. We want to serve you. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And you love us. You died for us. So Lord, take these instruments. Take the members of our bodies. Take our gifts, take our talents, take these weapons and use them for you, for your purposes in this world. And help us to represent you well, Lord. God, there might be somebody right now in this room watching this, and they feel the shame of their actions, their sin. God, I pray that that would be a motivator for them, for all of us to offer up ourselves up to you afresh. And I pray too, Lord, that you would use these instruments for your purposes, good purposes, to represent you in this world. Help us to do that, I pray. Help us to do that, Lord. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you that our sins can no longer condemn us and we are no longer slaves to sin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, receive our worship now, I pray.